Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. In the days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the highest of the mountains, and it shall be raised above the hills, and all the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the instruction to the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. And they shall beat their plowshare, their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. And nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. My friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Almighty and most holy God, we gather in your house to hear your word read and proclaimed, knowing that we are surrounded by your spirit, knowing that we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, some whom we have named just a few minutes ago. May their witness of grace inspire our living. May your spirit be poured out upon us that we would hear your words so clearly that our lives would be transformed and we would leave this hour together with each other and with you going forth, not as mere hearers of your words, but as doers of your words. In your son's holy name we pray, amen. So John Wesley, the founder of this Methodist movement that we are a part of, When he began this journey, he was focused on this personal relationship with God. This idea of works of piety which would draw us closer to God and the works of mercy that we would show a change within our hearts. And so as I shared last week, he was educated at Oxford, a really bright man for his day and time. And so when it came time for him to leave Oxford, he was ordained an Anglican priest and much in the same way, he went to the bishop to talk about where he might be posted first. Now, mind you, many clergy of the day were hoping to get posted to great cathedrals and, and the like for their first posting, and they had to get brought back down to earth. But John Wesley sort of outfoxed them all. He said, you know what I really want to do? I really want to go to the colonies. I really want to go to the frontier, and I really want to share the faith with those that live on the frontier, and specifically with the Native Americans. I want to try to share the faith and bring them into the family of God. And they must have sat around and sort of the council that decides this first round of appointments and thought, well, we can do that. And with that, they sent him to Georgia, to the prison colony of Georgia. And so this unheard of appointment where someone asked to go to the furthest part of the region. And so he goes there to do this work and he's full of all spit and vinegar. He's all excited about his work there. Well, he doesn't get a great reception. Matter of fact, he got caught up in some local politics with some leaders within the colony and he sort of offended them all. 
and the Native Americans really didn't cotton to his preaching. And so John Wesley had to leave Georgia, throw his tail tucked between his legs, a little bit disgraced and discouraged. But in that, John Wesley was also still convicted of his calling. And so when he comes back and he's got this conviction of his calling, he still believes he's called to be a priest, called to lead the church. He goes and asks for another appointment. And because of his failure in Georgia, they were really reticent to give him one. As a matter of fact, they didn't give him one. Which was the greatest opportunity for him. Living proof that God can redeem even our most spectacular failures, our greatest disappointments, that God can redeem them if we're faithful. Because John Wesley, for instance, looks at the world and he says, if I don't have a church, if I don't have a parish, then the world is my parish. And with that, that begins really John Wesley's active part of the Methodist movement. He moved from the Holy Club and talking about piety and works of mercy to actually preaching and inspiring the least, the last, and the lost, the, the last thought of in society. So he goes into this field preaching, and in field preaching, what he did, now if we talked about field preaching nowadays, we might imagine, say, one of us clergy types out there in a field with a music stand for a pulpit, because it's easy to carry. Not in John Wesley's day. Imagine this pulpit chainsawed off of here, off the sides, and jacked up off the floor and put in the back of a wagon. And they hauled that out to the field, and they had 12 strong men who lifted it out and plopped it down and said, here you go. So he still preached from the confines of a pulpit, probably to kind of keep him from going hog wild, kind of like this sort of keeps me contained mostly. But anyway, he does this and he has great success preaching to the field, to the masses, to open pit coal mines, to children who work in factories and begin Sunday schools where not only they come in and they learn about the faith, but they're learning reading, writing, and arithmetic, not only for children, but uneducated adults. And this Methodist movement, it takes root in the world is my parish. Feeding people both spiritually and nutritionally. Hospitals and hospices, churches and class meetings. All because John Wesley decided that the world was his parish as it is ours today as well. So we see in the text in Isaiah, we see sort of this future prophecy where the people have come together, they begin to turn to God, they climb up to the mountain of God to hear God's teachings, to learn God's ways, and to follow in his paths. And in that moment, they get hopes for the struggles of the world, where they realize that this idea that maybe war that is this fighting between nations and tribes, that it will cease a war within the walls of homes and communities will pass away. The war on poverty will finally be won. The war on drugs will be a victory. The war on hate and bigotry will become a thing of the past. And as such, what they begin to realize is in the mountain of the Lord, if we learn the Lord's ways, that there is more butter and less guns, more kindness and less vitriol, more love and no hate in the world around us. That there's peace between nations and tribes and parties within our political systems. Peace within our schools, our communities, our homes, our churches, and even our families. See, what we hear in this text is that God sets the standard for right living and that God is the one that judges, not us. 
that God is the one that arbitrates and that peace becomes the currency of the kingdom of God. And so Isaiah would have really liked and would have, would have encouraged John Wesley's three simple rules to do no harm, to do good, and to stay close to God. And Isaiah would have also echoed this idea that the world is our parish. See, what we begin to realize is the priesthood of all believers that you and I are called to ministry. That we are called to go out into the world as, as ambassadors of the Most High to bring about the peaceable kingdom of God, to do our part by living out our faith in front of, alongside, hand in hand with everyone within whom we meet and run across in our daily living. Now, as United Methodists, we believe and know that we are a connected people, that we are connected with people all around the world because of this mystical Methodist connection that John Wesley taught and believed in. We are 12 million members on four different continents. We've been fighting malaria on the African continent. We've been providing clean water in impoverished countries. We are running hospitals, caring for refugees, feeding the world's hungry educating the next generation. But here in Western North Carolina, just the 44 Western counties, we are in 644 congregations, supporting eight campus ministries, five colleges, four camping and retreat centers, three retirement communities, two vital mission outposts to the least, the last, and the lost across our state. See, we're working together because we realize if we work together, if we combine our resources, combine our energies, combine our prayers, then we realize that we are the people that can make a difference in the world. We believe that we are following Jesus, making disciples, bringing about that transformation. But I look within the walls of what this congregation is doing. We're focused on hunger, health, and housing. I think about this idea of housing with homelessness, the work that we do with Love Thy Neighbor, with Salvation Army, with City with Dwellings, with Samaritan Ministries, or the Rescue Mission, or even over at Crossnor and Crisis Control. The difference that we're making in those lives. Or thinking about this idea of working on health where it's not just physical health, but mental, spiritual, relational health, what we're doing with the Forsyth Jail and Prison Ministry or with lead girls, or Haiti Outreach Ministry, or a mission trip, our medical mission team that went to Honduras, or UMAR, helping adults with developmental disabilities, or the way that we're feeding the world right around us through our backpack ministry, through loaves and fishes, through the food bank garden, through Second Harvest Food Bank. See, we the people that are United Methodists, the people here at Centenary, across Western North Carolina, around the world, we're carrying on John Wesley's announcement that the world is our parish. And we're doing so with open hearts, open minds, open doors, so that all God's children, no matter what, no matter where they come from, no matter what stripe of life that they're in, that they are welcome here in the walls of this church. They're welcome in our presence to experience and know the grace and the love of God and the transformative power that comes when we come together to worship and to serve the Lord. At the table in just a few minutes, we're going to find it's a table of love and grace, a table of connection where we connect not only with each other, but with the one that loves us the most. 
But I think about what that means for us when we claim to be members of this church. We claim to be members, we claim to support it by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and our witness, that in everything God may be glorified. That's not something that we just do in this space. It's what we do outside of this space as well. And we'll talk in a couple of weeks because prayers, presence, gifts, and service, they seem self-explanatory, but yet we should unpack them a little bit more. But since this is All Saints Sunday, since the lights of their lives burn so brightly in front of us, those 39 names and others that we named, those that have joined the church triumphant, that have left the church militant behind, that their names are very personal, their stories are very close to us because they're family or friends, co-workers, mentors, giants, maybe even the lions, if you will, of our faith lives. But let not one thing escape about their ministry on earth, and it's their witness. See, these brothers and sisters saw the world as their parish, and they live lives of faith, the life of a disciple each and every day outside the walls of the church. They did so in the halls of government. They did so in the halls of schools. They did so in the halls of homes, in cathedrals and churches, as ministers, musicians, as disciples and living saints, in business and commerce and medicine, faithfully following a calling to live out their gifts and talents, to use them for the good of God's kingdom for all of us. They did it in communities, helping people find their way that were lost. See, their witness to us was to go into the world and to seek peace, to seek peace in the warring and the struggles of life, being careful to do no harm, to do good, and to stay close to God every step of the way. See, the world was truly their parish as it is ours. So on this All Saints Sunday, as we remember the impact of their lives upon us, we realize the way that they paved, the road that they paved for us to walk on by their witness of faith, engaging the world as their parents, that maybe we should do the same. That we, we come to the table, that we come to renew our commitment to support this church by our prayers, our presence, our gifts, our service, and oh yes, by our witness as well. That we would go into the world as followers of Jesus Christ, armed with Wesley's three simple rules, armed with the truth of the gospel, armed with God's love and grace, but seeing the world as our parish, as our arena for ministry, just as they did, just as John Wesley did. And friends, when we do that, we cannot lose, but instead we all win. Because the swords are beat into plowshares, the spears into pruning hooks, and the glory of the Lord shines around each and every one of us. Because there's peace in the kingdom. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast for Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you will consider joining us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 or 11 a.m.
Blessings. 